My great-grandmother was born in 1892 in what was then known as Oklahoma Territory. Her name was Nellie Pearl Cress. If there was a Hall of Fame of names, she would be in it. It's a great name, Nellie Pearl Cress. But as little kids, we knew her as Gigi, short for great-grandmother. Her spiritual gift, I'm pretty sure, at least I'm sure she thought her spiritual gift, was the giving of unsolicited advice. <laughs> How many of you have someone in your family who's like that, unsolicited advice? Probably most all of us do at least some. I remember when I was 15, it was, I, it was Christmas Day. I was, I'd been growing my hair all fall, really long, way down past my shoulders. I loved my long hair. Great-grandmother, Gigi, came up to me, grabbed a hold of the back of my long hair, pulled on it a little bit and said, you look like a communist. <laughs> I, apparently we have a few communists here this morning because I see some long hair out there. <laughs> Who knew this is how you identified those kinds of folks? Later, when I graduated from seminary and was ordained in the ministry in the Christian Church Disciples of Christ, she gave me a book, which I still have. It's called The Minister's Manual. On the inside, she inscribed a note that said, I'm very proud of you for graduating and being ordained, but I'm nervous that you're in such a liberal denomination. <laughs> she did give advice that I sometimes listen to. Maybe you heard this from one of your grandparents as well. In all things, give thanks. In all things, give thanks. My great-grandmother knew the Bible. She knew it better than me. We disagreed on how to interpret it, but she knew it, the content much better than I. She knew that word came from the Apostle Paul in his letter to the church in Thessalonica. In all things give thanks. Now, it doesn't mean you look out at, a, at something terrible that's happening and try to pretend like it's not there. No, in the midst of whatever's happening, in the midst of all that's going on in your life, take a moment to give thanks. Take a moment to express gratitude. And you know what? It turns out that according to the research, my great-grandmother was right about this. In all things, give thanks. Scott Weimer is a pastor down in, in, in Atlanta. He pointed out for me the other day that there's some research that concludes that indeed my grandmother is correct. If you are able to express a moment of gratitude, a, a moment once, twice, even three times a day. Not a minute, don't take 10 minutes, just a moment to say thank you for a beautiful cup of coffee, to express gratitude to your spouse. Maybe you've missed them all day long and you're glad to see them at the end of the day. Hi honey, it's so good to see you. Just three little moments like that will have the effect of changing your life. Weimer is quoting some research that comes from a book called The Psychology of Gratitude. These researchers found that if you can take two or three moments a day to be thankful, your negative emotions will diminish and your positive ones will increase. Your outlook on life will be much more positive. You'll see things clearer and better and understand that there is a way through no matter how difficult it looks and it might be. All this comes simply from saying a bit of thanks, a cup of coffee, a little bread, a nice meal, a walk on a beautiful fall day. The fourth bit of research shows that when you're able to do this over an extended period of time, you'll sleep better. You know when I said that at the nine o'clock service, there was this audible, ooh. Just giving thanks 
means you'll sleep better. You'll find more comfort in the joy of sleep. Some of the research I've read recently in a couple of different places suggests that our sleep patterns for most of us through the pandemic were terrible. We had restless nights. We didn't feel rested when we woke up in the morning. And, and who, who can blame us? Not just us Americans, I'm talking about the world. Who can blame us with all the trauma and tragedy, the, the fear of death just around the corner? The unknown, not knowing exactly what we can do or how we should act, wear a mask, don't wear a mask, go here, don't go there. Think of all the things we've had to deal with the last almost three years. No wonder we can't sleep. Maybe, maybe the pathway out of the pandemic begins with a step toward gratitude, toward saying thank you. Maybe it's that simple. What these researchers are indicating is that we need to pay attention. Pay attention to those things that we have in our lives that indeed bless us. Pay attention to those things that are around us that we have every day, whether it's a nice meal, a friendly handshake, a, a, a group gathering that you're looking forward to. Say a word of thanksgiving for those, and that might be a pathway to a good night's sleep and a positive outlook on what's going on in life. Learning to pay attention is something I've had to practice and practice, and practice, and practice. I'm still not very good at it, but I'm amazed what happens when I do. Some of you heard me tell this story about the time I was preaching in a remote village called Naps Hope in South Africa. It was in the middle of nowhere, but our mission team had been invited to come and partner with them over a project for a couple of days, and it happened to be on a weekend, and so the pastor asked me to preach. <clears throat> I got up to give the sermon. Church was packed. It was about one-third the size of this, maybe 200 people in there, our friends from uh, the, who were known historically as Kosa people. So I'd, I preached in English, and, and, and Pastor Cody translated my sermon in, into, into Kosa. I got about a third of the way into the, into the sermon when everyone on this side, all the women sat on the left, all the men sat on the right. All the women suddenly stood up right in the middle of my sermon and started singing and, and dancing, and, and this is a loud, raucous, joyful song. It was kind of amazing, but I didn't know what the heck was going on. I leaned over to Pastor Cody, who was standing next to me, and said, What's happening? He said, when the sermon is boring, they dance and sing. <laughs> that's, that's, a, that's an exact quote. Well, they stopped after a while. I got through quickly through the sermon, not giving them another chance to stand and sing. And then it was time for the offering. Pastor Cody took me by the elbow, and he leaned in, and he said, come with me. We're going to go down to the center aisle, down there to the front, and we're going to receive the offering, it would mean a great deal to my people if you would share in the receiving of their gifts. He handed me an offering plate, and of course I did. We walked over to the center. We stood shoulder by shoulder when Pastor Cody said, in the giving of our offering on this day, let us give thanks for our friends from America who are with us now. In the giving of our offering on this day, let us give thanks for the meal we'll receive when this service is over. In the giving of our offering on this day, let us give thanks for the many things God has blessed us with. And then the music began again. First the women stood, then the men, and pretty soon everyone in the entire place was dancing and singing and, and, and just filled that room with joy. Even, the, even us Americans, we weren't dancing very well, but we were doing our, doing our best. And I was receiving the offering. Almost everyone who came forward had nothing more than the South African equivalent of nickels or dimes or 
or quarters. But every single person who came down was smiling, laughing, singing. They were filled with joy, and I, I made myself pay attention, and suddenly I forgot that terrible sermon, and I just got caught up in the moment with, of the Spirit. As the Spirit filled that space with heaven, with heaven's brightness. After the service was over, I greeted folks on the outside with Pastor Cody. I'd practiced a few COSA words, which start like that, but I could never get that and then the word together in the way you're supposed to. And every time I tried to say something to somebody, they would look at me quizzical like, what the heck is this guy saying? And then they just burst into laughter and smiles, and we gave each other hugs and more smiles. Neither one of us could understand each other, but it was a beautiful day, all because we were paying attention to the things for which we were grateful. Jesus wants us to pay attention. Jesus wants to see beyond our own particular needs or desires to the world itself, to see that all around us there are images and opportunities for gratitude and thanksgiving, for joy to be planted and to be made real in our lives. The, the, the teaching is a, is a hard one, a difficult one. He, he takes his disciples to the temple and he, he points out to the side, do you see these religious leaders in their long robes and stoles? Do you see them? They are behaving as though they are pious and, and holy. They're behaving as though their prayers are better than the others, but they are deceiving themselves for they pray on the weakest of God's children, the most vulnerable in order to line their own pockets, in order to enrich themselves, in order to get more and more of what they don't really need and not caring who they take it from. And then Jesus looks to the other side and sees a widow, a poor widow, with nothing more than two coins, worth a penny, maybe two at most. She puts all of her offering into the treasury and Jesus calls their attention to it. He wants the disciples to pay attention to her, to see her. It's no doubt in my mind that they would not have seen her or noticed her. All the other folks are getting everyone's attention, the powerful, the mighty, the so-called wise and holy. They're getting the attention that they desire. Jesus turns them away from that to the ones he calls the least of these. And there's this woman who is, in a, in a way, a feminine type of Christ. She's giving, as Jesus will give his life, she's giving her whole self. Maybe even in the gift, she'll be in danger. But she trusts, she believes, she hopes. Jesus looks to the edges, to the margins, to the vulnerable, to those in need, finds them and blesses them. I, I saw this happen once. It wasn't Jesus, but it was a holy moment. About four years ago this month, my wife Julie and I were leading a trip, along with Scott and Ryan Nickel, who were our, our, our co-leaders, uh, a trip of folks from here at First Community to the Holy Land. We'd traveled all around. We'd been to the Mediterranean Sea. We'd been to the Sea of Galilee, River Jordan. Several people rededicated their baptisms in the Jordan. It was a beautiful trip. Towards the end of our trip, we end up in, in Jerusalem. On this particular day, we're in Old Jerusalem, and our group is walking. The, the Old Jerusalem streets are 
not much wider, really, than our center aisle of our sanctuary here, maybe 10, 15 feet at most, and it was packed. And it, even though it was the end of October, it was a hot, humid day, and you could just tell our group was exhausted and people around were exhausted, and I was really concerned to make sure we got everybody through. We were on what's called the Via Dolorosa, the Way of Sorrows. It's the way that tradition says that Jesus walked forced by the Roman soldiers to carry his own cross on his shoulder to his crucifixion. We would stop at each of the stations of the cross to hear a little bit about what happened there and what tradition says this symbolizes. As we were continuing to make our way, I was walking right behind. I was at the very back making sure everybody got through. I was walking just half a step and to the side of Terry Philbin, who's a member of our church, who was walking just in front of me. When all of a sudden, Terry took a step to the left now, he's a kind of a big guy. I almost ran into him. I'm glad I didn't. I would have been hurt. He took a step to the left, and then he knelt down gently. And I saw what had gotten his attention. There was a woman, a black woman, sweating quite heavily, obviously in some distress. Terry got down on one knee. He took a hold of her hand. I, I think he might have been checking her pulse. I can't say for sure, but it looked like he's a physician. And he looked her right in the eye and said, are you okay? Tell me what you're feeling. She said, I, I, I'm okay. I, it, I'm very hot. I'm very tired. But my friends are going to find some water for me. They're going to take care of me. They're, they're going to take care of me. I really appreciate you stopping. Now that's where the story ends. But do you see the Christ-like nature of that? There's somebody. I was looking above her. I didn't see her. I didn't notice her. No one else was stopping to check on her, but he took the time to kneel, make eye contact, and ask. You see, what Jesus wants us to do is to pay attention to those moments in our lives, not, not just to those who are on the margin, but maybe even in the margins of our own hearts, minds, and souls, to ask, where, who am I, and where am I called? What does God expect of me? What, how has God created me? What particular gifts do I have in this life? that God is calling me to give away. You see, that's part of the challenge. Can we, not only as individuals, but as a congregation, find the ability to look to the margins, to look to the edges, to see where God may be calling us to next so that we can be ready to go in a moment's notice or to kneel gently and take the hand of someone we encounter in need. It's a challenge. One of my favorite writers is Rachel Held Evans. She talks about this. Let's put her words here on the screen. Imagine if every church became a place where everyone is safe, listen to this, where everyone is safe but no one is comfortable. Imagine if every church became a place where we told one another the truth. We might just create sanctuary. A safe place where the truth can be spoken. It was Jesus who said in another one of the Gospels, the truth shall make you free. Imagine a place like that. Jesus is on his way to the cross. I, I don't know how he knows it's before him. He's, he's reading the politics of the moment. He understands the murmurings that are in the street. Somehow he knows. He knows he will have to go to a cross. There's something about death that puts a fine point on our lives, isn't it? When we encounter death, suddenly all the things that we thought were so important, so vastly needed, so desperately wanted, just fade away like 
feathers off a bird, nothing. A puff of wind, and they're gone. Yesterday in this same space, we celebrated the life of Marsha Brackman, a dear, gracious, kind soul, wife, mother, sister, friend. Over here in the lectern, four members of her family, three of her, her three children and her brother Chris, shared intimate, personal stories with the congregation that was gathered of what their mother was like, how gracious she was, how funny she could be, how she loved to have a, uh, throw a good party. One of them said, really, the stuff, all the things I thought were so important suddenly didn't matter anymore when I held my mom's hand for the last time. It's Elton Trueblood, the theologian, who says that the Christian doctrine of the divinity of Christ sometimes is summarized in saying that Jesus is like God. Professor Trueblood goes on. He says it's more radical than that. The radical truth of the divinity of Christ is that God is like Jesus. If you heard Rabbi Rami speak a few weeks ago, you heard him say something similar. God is in us and we are in God. God is in Christ and Christ is in God. If that's true, if God is like Jesus, then who is it and what is it that God pays attention to? The desire for justice for those on the margins, those on the edges. When you encounter the word justice in the Bible, it's not talking about a courtroom and meeting out a punishment or declaring not guilty. Justice in the Bible is so much more than that. It means the restoration of wholeness to the community, where people have enough to eat, a safe place to sleep, where people have more than enough to survive on, but rather to thrive, to thrive. Earlier in Mark's gospel, Jesus alluded to the prophet Hosea, who said 700 years before Jesus, the community of faith must focus on two things, steadfast love, and justice, to give our hearts to God and to neighbor in the name of love and to make sure that the community is restored. Well, the way the people reacted was hilarious. He thought he was talking about doing worship in a different way. It's almost like they came and said, this is an exact, not the exact same thing, but if he was talking to us, this is what they would have done. Well, we're going to sing livelier hymns, we're going to have shorter sermons, and we'll never talk about money. That'll, that'll make everything better, won't it, won't it Hosea? And Hosea, I'm sure he did the Hebrew version of the, of the face palm. I can't believe you people are missing the point. What's the point? Jesus underlines Hosea's words in Mark's gospel. To pay attention. To see where you're called. To see where there is need in the world. And to give yourself fully to that very need. Yes, we're in our stewardship campaign. Yes, we want you to give generously. Yes, our business office will carefully receive the pledges. They'll add up all the dollars. A budget will be based on that. They'll do it in very careful and the best of business practice ways. But more than that, what this church, what this world needs is you and the many gifts that you bring. Amen.